Good old Zamrock was the first of what would become quite a few regional scenes of African music that made me realize that not all African music has Simba dangling from each note. The Republic of Zambia was barely a decade independent from British colonization when Zamrock was at its peak in 1975. The Ngozi family's 1977 album, 45,000 Volts, came out closer to the end of Zamrock, when Zambia's economy started to take a turn downward. Through Paul Ngozi's psych fuzz guitar, 45,000 Volts is a more than competent sampler of the short but fierce musical fusion genre known as Zamrock. I'm Brennan. Welcome to Boogie Chits. of Zambia was a British colony known as Northern Rhodesia from 1911 until its independence in 1964. The British had seized the territory in the late 19th century for its rich mineral resources. So Zambia is a landlocked country in South Central Africa. It's directly south of the Republic of Congo, which is another musically dense country. Kenneth Kaunda was the first president of Zambia. Kenneth was born April 28, 1924 at Lubwa Mission in Chinsali, Northern Rhodesia, as it was known at the time. Kenneth became a teacher, but his real passion was politics, and he jumped into that profession during his mid-20s. Kaunda is all about Zambian independence. He, he could not stand that his beloved homeland was under British rule. It became his life mission to establish an independent Zambia. In the early 1960s, Kaunda often criticized then-ANC President Harry Nkambula on a regular basis. The ANC stood for African National Congress, the African representative of the colony, expected to play along, I guess, with whatever the Brits said. What's that called? Like a Manchurian rep. Kenneth and Harry had actually started together as freedom fighters in the early 1950s. They were best buds and considered legendary leaders in the struggle for Zambian independence. Here's some of their volleys against, the, against British colonization. They backed the safety and rights of mine workers in the Copper Belt. They held a strike against European butcheries in Lusaka, which is the capital of Z uh, Zambia, encouraging local goods and giving the Brits a snub. And Ken and Harry also served time in prison with hard labor together for distributing subversive literature on the streets. I guess pro-independent Zambia leaflets and such. These two had a history and a mutual respect. Fast forward and Harry is now representing the people's voice in northern Rhodesia as head ANC, but his friend Kenneth not happy with his efforts. Nor was the general population of the future Zambia. Kaunda felt that Harry had become another pawn in keeping the colonial copper machine going and not quite the revolutionary he once was. He'd become a yes man. Kenneth Kaunda parted ways with his former friend Harry Nkambula and the ANC in 1958 and started a new acronymic council, the ZANC, Zambian African National Council. He threw a Z at the beginning. Take that, Nkambula. After a two-stage election was held and won by an African majority, Northern Rhodesia seceded from the British Union and became its own country in October 1964, officially named the Republic of Zambia. Bravo, Kenneth, and the people of Zambia. So the name Zambia is taken from the Zambezi River, which possibly means the Grand River. It's lost in translation. 
Zambia was now independent with Kenneth Kuunda as its president, and minerals are indeed its biggest asset. Copper is the bell of the ball in this country. To this day, copper accounts for 70% of Zambian export earnings. This is also pretty impressive. 20% of the world's emeralds come out of Zambia. There is a large region in the northern half of Zambia. It's called the Copper Belt. It has mines and digging galore. With their new independence came complete control over their copper industry, and the Zambian economy was about to boom. Go boom. They got minerals aplenty, but here are a couple of the problems Zambia runs into as a new nation. So there's a unified pride among the people, like jobs, schools, extracurricular and events with the copper boom. But there were very few Zambians trained and competent enough to actually run a government, like especially a new government, a fresh government. Also, the country of Zambia is surrounded by land, but this place was a metaphoric island. All of Zambia's neighbors were still colonized by England or ruled by outsiders. Zambia was an outlier, surrounded I guess that makes them more of an inlier. Despite those negatives, Kenneth Kuunda carried on and introduced the slogan, One Zambia, One Nation, to promote unity. Hey, Kenneth Kuunda was also a musician. He played guitar and sang traditional Zambian tunes. During the 1950s, there were guys like Stephen Tsatsi Kazumali from the northern Copper Belt province who sang traditional folkish African songs, like about the mines, I guess, and stuff. Kawunda revered these artists along with the rest of the country. If Let me tell you, if you were to get a Starbucks Zam, Zambian sampler CD, like Zambian Delights of Copper Road Volume 1 or whatever it would be called, it would have this music. It would have Kazumali, William Mapalanga, John Lucci, stuff like that. There were a lot of wealthy British folks living in Zambia before, during, and after independence. They were connected to the copper mining scene with the, you know, old money. With a new population demographic came new music, records, a lot of them. James Brown, Jimi Hendrix, The Stones, The Beatles, Kinks, all the underground garage rock singles and shit from America. The rich Brits living in Zambia, they wanted the music from home. And over time, all of these records eventually made their way onto Zambian radio. There were Stones and Beatles cover bands made up of Zambian youngsters like all over the place. If a song was a hit in England, then it was a hit in Zambia. English is like the primary language there. So they're, you know, they're, they're getting, they take in what they get from the West. There's a general feeling of like relaxed joy coming out of Zambia when you see interviews with the people. And they absolutely love, love the electric guitar. A few years after Zambian independence to support his One Zambia, One Nation vision, Kawunda made it a rule that 95% of the music broadcasted on Zambian radio had to be made by Zambian artists. He was like, I know we love and appreciate Mick and Keith, but no more. National pride, people. Let's stay on track. So 95% of the music, that's 9.5 songs out of 10, play Zambian songs then you can play like the Layla piano outro. I guess that's kind of like a half song. The young Zambian musicians who had been playing in cover bands like the Lusaka Beatles thought of this new presidential rule as a good thing. 
They've been playing live and they were dying to get their own music onto the radio. Here's their chance. Dream come true for these African youngsters. So Zamrock is what came out of this set of circumstances. Zamrock genre in summary is pretty simple. It's the fusion of Western rock with traditional African music like fast percussion. Also with many of the songs delivered in a regional tongue. Bemba, Chichawa, Nyanja, regional languages. Zambian DJ Manasa Fury is credited with the creation of the term Zamrock. The rock music half of the Zamrock equation is where it gets wild for me. The Zamrock artists of like 1972 through 78-ish when this scene happened love the wah-wah, love the fuzz guitar pedal effects. Each artist or band, they have their own unique thing going, but they all share the fuzz and wah-wah overload. They love it. The influences, the British and you know American influences on radio, it started with the Beatles and Stones, but eventually got into stuff like Blue Cheer and even Black Sabbath. I feel like a picture of Jimi Hendrix has to be on a stained glass, piece of stained glass somewhere in Zambia. The first official Zamrock artist is guitarist Ricky Ililonga, who put together an all-star band of, of Zambian musicians called Musi Otunia, which translates to The Smoke That Thunders. Musi Otunia recorded their first release, Wings of Africa, in 1973 in Kenya, but it didn't get on Zambian radio until 1975. Ricky Ililonga is widely regarded as the inventor of this style of combining garage rock with African rhythms. Ricky said that he got the idea of fusion music, the bare bones idea of fusion, from a band called Osibisa out of Ghana. So Osibisa started to get big in like 1972. Teddy Osi is the mastermind behind Osibisa. He's a Ghanaian composer, sax player, and drummer who studied music in London. Osibisa was one of the first African bands to gain worldwide popularity. They meshed up African high-life music with Caribbean rhythms. Ricky Ilolonga and the Zambian guys, they were very inspired by this idea of using fusing things to create something new. Osibisa is very heavy with the Caribbean element. I, I struggle with that sound, and I am not personally not that into Osibisa. Here are two LPs to check out, though, if interested. interested. There's tons of them. Woyoya from 1971, that's when they are an African heater on the rise. They're starting to break out of Ghana, and there's a buzz about them. Totally unique listen for me, but really not for me. It's like, it reminds me of folding like beach, beach towels. It has like a Lido deck, that Caribbean laid back thing. We're waiting for her villa chase to come walking up my driveway. Take a frozen bagel out of the fridge and throw it at him. Get out of here. Oha Awake from 1976. That's a big OCBSA album. They had already gotten pretty, you know, pretty huge by then. The opening track, the Coffee Song, and then there's a song called Keep on Trying. They're both worth a listen. Coffee Song's funny. OCBSA still active today in some form. They've toured all over the world. OCBSA and Ibiza. OCBSA ate a pizza on the Isthmus of Ibiza. OCBSA ate a pizza on the Isthmus of Ibiza. I'm going to fall into like a Howard Hughes spiral if I keep saying that 
Museo Tunia were amazing, by the way. They use horns big time, and it creates like a magical blend with Ricky Alonga's fuzz guitar. They also do impressive vocal harmonies, and they go the Marvin Gra- Marvin Gaye route sometimes. So check out Dark Sunrise compilation, which has everything Museo Tunia recorded during that time together. It was released by Now Again Records in 2010. My personal favorite Museo Tunia release is Ricky Ililonga's solo album from 1975. It's called Zambia. This album is actually included in the Dark Sunrise comp, but go hear this one on its own. Shabine Queen and Hot Fingers are two of the best song uh, Zamrock songs, period. Hot Fingers kind of bar- borrows its groove from the Stones' Heartbreaker, from Goat's Head Soup. Heartbreaker. Ricky Ilalonga, he found a way to Africanize his love of the guitar and got the Zamrock train moving. Shoot, shoot. So which is another Zamrock heavyweight? I would say they're recognized as the most popular band from the scene. Which fronted by Emmanuel Jagari Chanda, the Mick Jagger of Central Africa. Jagari has said it was a pridefully conscious decision to blend Western rock with Afrobeat and sing it in their native language. These guys, they loved rock, but they were indeed very proud Africans and also proud of owning a clearly original sound. Zamrock was no accident. They... They came up, you know, uh, Ricky came up with the idea and then all the bands just dove into it. So which is an acronym? Zambians love acronyms for we intend to cause havoc. That's in a pot. He meant it in a party way. It's not like a havoc destruction type of thing. Zambians actually traveled around the country to see which live and they are a sight to behold with their colorful floppy hats on stage. These are the coolest guys ever. Go go check, look up pic, pics on your phone of which. Everyone in the popular bands, they had their own like tailors, wild outfits. Some of the less, you know, some of the bands starting out, they would just wear like crazy rags. The idea was to wear anything just to look weird and stand out. Ripping off shirts, throwing into the audience, Huge thing in the Zamrock scene. Jagari, he could hold the audience in the palm of his hand. No doubt about it. You must listen to the first Witch album from 1972 as a starter. It's called Introduction, and it's an absolute banger. You better know and like a chicken, as good as Zamrock gets. I would say like a chicken, the Witch song like a chicken, is probably the most popular Zamrock song, period. It's awesome. Which puts you in a really good mood. Uh, check out that first album. No, no doubt about it. So Zamrock bands like Witch and Museo Tunia, they had to work really hard to get their music out. They recorded at makeshift places like DB Studio and getting a four-track recording was considered a massive luxury. A lot of this stuff is just recorded on two-track. They had to travel to Kenya to get the records pressed. There were only 200 copies of Witch's introduction made because that was all Jagari could carry in suitcases on his way back to Zambia. So that brings us to the Ngozi family, led by guitarist Paul Dobson Nyarango, a.k.a. Paul Ngozi. So Ngozi translates to danger in English. Paul was born in the Zambian capital city of Lusaka. He was was exposed to all of the same Western rock and roll growing up as his fellow Zamrockers, and Paul really gravitated towards the wailing lead guitar. Jimi Hendrix, Eric Clapton, and Cream, 
that sound. He was also a ladies' man and an outspoken critic of Z- on Zambian social and political issues. He's a sharp dude. Paul's best friend growing up was a guy named Chrissy Zebi Tembo. Zebi played drums and he shared his best bud Paul's enthusiasm to start a rock and roll band. The two started out playing in bands like The Scorpions and 10 years before, neither of those really recorded anything. Okay, so we know, the now we know the Zambian Scorpions and then there's the German rock band Scorpions, you know, down to Gorky Park with Klaus Mein and Rudy Schenker. There is also a band called the Scorpions from Sudan in the 1970s. They recorded one album called Jazz, Jazz, Jazz that's available everywhere thanks to a 2018 reissue by the amazing Habibi Funk label. It's amazing. Go check this one out. The instrumental track Sierra Music, fantastic. Saif Abu Baker does the vocals. He's a Sudanese uh, vocal like singing legend. It's a great album. Go check it out. Back to Zambia. Paul also played guitar in Musio Tunia after Ricky Ilalonga left to do his own thing. In 1976, though, the Ngozi family is fully assembled and they release Day of Judgment. Paul's heavy fuzz phaser guitar on full display here. It's an okay album. High Babe is a fun song. It has like a proto-punk edge to it. The edginess of um, the Ngozi family is on display on that one. Not, not. I prefer the one we're talking about today as far as Ngozi albums. So the value of copper started to drop during the back half of the 70s in Zambia. To deal with the crisis, President Kuunda took out big loans from the International Monetary Fund and also the World Bank, hoping that copper prices would rise again soon. He did this instead of issuing like structural reforms. Welcome to the world, Zambia. The Ngozi family songs often had darker themes that reflected life in Zambia. Paul had grown up in a rough neighborhood. The Ngozi family were just a little bit edgier than some of the other Zamrock bands. I think they, they're a little, all of the big uh, releases are already out, like 1975, and they really get smoking on the back end of uh, Zamrock. At least that's what it seems like to me. Zamrock proper. The genre, pretty much on its tail end in 1977. The Ngozi family, like I said, they're on fire. Though They released six albums that year. One of those being the highly celebrated 45,000 Volts. The other five are tough to find. I, I've heard The Ghetto, which is listed, listed as a Paul Ngozi solo album. But I've, I've never heard anything from the other releases or, or seen them available. The main reason I chose 45,000 Volts as the album to represent Zamrock is because it's a a pretty stripped down affair. This is Zamrock at its core, wailing fuzz, swinging rhythm through an African filter. There are only three guys playing on this album. Paul Ngozi on guitar and vocals, Chrissy Zebi Tembo on drums, and Paul Wale on bass. 45,000 Volts is nine songs, 37 minutes recorded at Sapra Studios in Nairobi, Kenya, and it is cooking with gas. Let's have a listen. The opening track is Nizakapanga Ngozo, which translates to rock your face as far as I'm concerned.
There's a pureness that comes through the speakers with this music. Sometimes darker, aggressive themes in the forefront, but there's always like a joyful exuberance playing behind it. Next song up is Everything Is Over. Paul sings in English about a breakup with a woman. Paul's all about the ladies, and he plays some loose guitar solos in this song to mourn his heartbreak. convinced David Byrne got the inspiration for the song Cross-Eyed and Painless Groove from Everything Is Over by Ngozi. You could hear the connection from the opening notes of each song. Check out, because Remain in Light was 1980. This is 1977, and then Brian Eno's a big Brit African guy. So that's probably how he... I'm, I'm convinced of it. Who cares? Third song is a razor-sharp banger called I'll Be With You. Playlist this one. Last song was about Paul breaking up with a lady. Here he's laying pipe on a new gal and he's totally in love. Fourth song is called Atate, which is Chichawa for father. This is the first of three songs that captures the Kalindula sound. Paul Ngozi, the Ngozi family, he's credited with creating the Kalindula sound, which is rhythmic, rhythmic pop music with fuzzy electric guitar leads centered around the bass guitar of the same name. It became popular in the 80s that followed. Let's have a listen of Atate. Forty-five thousand volts has the coolest album cover art of all the Zamrock releases, in my opinion. Go check it out. It has a picture of the three band members, Paul Ngozi, Tommy Wale, and Zebby Tembo getting struck by cartoon lightning bolts. Goes with the Ngozi danger theme. The album art was put together by Norman Montemba, who played bass for Salty Dog, who's another great Zamrock band. Norman Montemba would eventually establish a successful advertising firm in Kenya in the years after Zamrock. He found his calling doing the 45,000... Volts cover. Bless you, Norman. We move on to You Don't Love Me. It's a sad song, but it's awesome. Paul pours his heart out aboard about, you know, I guess more woman trouble. How 
of its time. House of Fear is a highly celebrated song in the Zamrock catalog. Paul Ngozi discovers Black Sabbath. Big wall of fuzz, this one. I saw the nightmares They came to my dreams It was House of Fear House of Fear is an example of Paul Ngozi's fierce social commentary, singing about paranoia. The honeymoon phase is coming to an end for Zambia. The economy is starting to turn, 77. So Paul may have been, you know, he may have been a social voice, but make no mistake about it. He was mainly about rock and roll and partying. He wasn't like a negative Nancy or anything like that, like sitting around under a tree reading poetry, stuff like that. Or He, he didn't complain. He was just... Uh, he was smart, forthright. Hey, the only reason I ever even had the chance to learn about the Zamrock scene is because of Now Again Records. Founded in 2002 by Egon Alipat, the Now Again reissue imprint focuses on preserving a wide range of rare and interesting music, including American soul, funk, and hip-hop, Nigerian fuzz rock, Brazilian psychedelia, tons of shit. Right now, from the Now Again catalog, I'm listening to Galt McDermott's Woman is Sweeter score from the from this obscure 1969 movie of the same name. It's fantastic. It's got Charlie Brown themed piano music with, with bass and drums. A little short, three-minute piano-driven uh, instrument. I think one of the songs has has uh, vocals. It's fantastic. You, The place to truly start with the Zamrock genre is definitely the Welcome to Zamrock compilations from now again. There's one and two. The song Mad Men by Born Free is on volume one. That's a banger. I don't think, I think a lot of uh, one-off tracks on that, you can't, they're not part of any albums. Volume one, it's great. They were released like a decade ago and I would start with those two comps and then go in on the artists you like. Check out the Now Again Records catalog on their website and throw a dart. It's all interesting stuff. Timwenge is the next song on 45,000 Volts. This is my favorite of the three Calendula songs. It has its funk face on. Amina's Africa from 1975. That's another great Zamrock album I should mention. I thought for years that Amina's was an African word, like for waterfall or something, maybe. Nope. It's another Zambian acronym. Stands for Ask Me About Nice Artists in Zambia. I fucking love this stuff. 
Africa is the only Amanaz release I can find. And I don't think there's anything else. There's there's two songs on that album that should definitely be heard. One is Kala, my friend, which is this really sweet and tender song with a country music influence. It's like a monolithic song in the Zamrock genre. The other is History of Man. It has an over-the-top power chord fuzz bukkake all over your face. This song rocks. It's like when I, if I was going to do a movie about Zamrock, I would have uh, History of Man in the opening credits just blast your face. Osibisa in Ibiza. Osibisa ate a beats on the Isthmus of Ibiza. My, my personal favorite song on the album is next. Hold on. It's a lyrically autobiographical journey of the Ngozi family's life in Zambia as touring musicians. Hold on, Ngozi family. Chrissy Zebby Tembo, unbelievable drumming on Volts. He's another Zamrock legend. He released his own album in 1976 called My Ancestors, which is my personal favorite from the extended Ngozi family catalog. I think Paul plays guitar on it. It's the same. It's just titled under Zebby's solo. Troublemaker and Coffin Maker. It's two makers. Two great songs from that album for your playlist, courtesy of Brennan, the proxy prince of Zambia. Go get those. Coffin Makers, a banger and a half. Tichinjele is the last song on 45,000 volts. It's also the third and final Calendula song, Sweet Closer. I feel like this song belongs in that movie Juno for some reason. Breaking montage or something from Juno should be in there. Well, I love how Zamrock music addressed contentious issues like apartheid in South Africa while still maintaining that exuberant feel. It's all about exuberance, Zamrock. So with the price of copper and Zambia's econ- economy crashing hard in the late 70s, Zambia found itself surrounded by political turmoil in neighboring states. When the country offered to shelter refugees, Zambia's power stations were bombed. Once prosperous cities were at the mercy of blackouts and curfews, musicians were reduced to playing unstable sets during daylight hours while their ticket prices became unaffordable to the average Zambian citizen. Zamrock basically died out. The musicians had to find real jobs. Also, there was a lot of piracy with Zambian music. Bootleggers trying to make a buck any way they can and... They did, much to the chagrin of the musicians. The Republic of Zambia would be 
devastated by the AIDS virus starting in 1983. You know, 13% of Zambia's adult population would die of AIDS-related causes by the end of the decade. This includes Paul Ngozi, who died in 1989. I can't confirm if Tommy Wale and Zebi also died of AIDS, but AIDS killed all of the original members of the band Witch, except for Jagari. Jagari had moved to the Netherlands to become a teacher before the epidemic took hold. You know, Paul Ngozi, he was one of the few original Zam rockers to keep going musically in the 1980s. The Calendula sound had become super popular and Paul kept making music up until his death. He was only 39 or 40 when he died. Ricky Ililonga, the original Zamrock creator, he's still with us. He's got tons of exotic guitars sitting around. He's just a sweet old storytelling man now. He dresses like Junior Soprano. He's got the duckbill cap, Havana shirt, tan pants. There's been a, a resurgence of interest in Zamrock in recent years. All the now again reissues and easy access to the music probably being the biggest factor. And with that resurgence came the musical return of Jagari and a new lineup of the band Witch. So the new lineup is like younger hip guys who were like discovered Witch as they were growing up and they kind of got a hold of Jagari and said, let's, let's put the band, a band back together. It's a great crew. It's a great story. Awesome. So since Jagari's return in 2017, witches performed all over the world, including the Bell House in Brooklyn like five years ago, which I had to miss for a wedding. Thank you, Denise and Greg. Touring outside Zambia was something Jagari never got the chance to do in his band's prime. He's since been awarded for his achievements by the Zambian National Arts Council, the ZNAC, another Zambian acronym. Check out the 2019 documentary called We Intend to Cause Havoc. It's about Jagari's life and the story of Witch and Zamrock, all-encompassing. I believe it's available for rent on Amazon Prime. It's great. Witch Revival is still going strong. New album came out this year, Zango. It's in my top three for the year so far. I'm convinced that Hannah Tembo, she does vocals for the song Umoveshi Suga. I'm convinced she's the daughter or granddaughter of Chrissy Zebi Tembo. I choose to believe that. I'm in awe of this music. If I ever came face to face with Jagari, it would be like the Knicks game in Coming to America. I would like drop my popcorn. It is you. It is you, Jagari. Kiss his feet or whatever. And then he would crown me with my, he would tell me to rise and crown me with my official title, the Proxy Prince of Zambia. Hey, thanks for listening, everybody. New album, new episode next week. And thank you to Levon for helping me with the song clips. Take care, everybody. (laughs) 